0: Hi guys, so today is going to be the first episode of AP Hero for Dummies, and this podcast is, we're just going to go through the AP College Board videos, and we're just going to go a little bit into more depth, and we're just going to explain this a little bit. So the first group of videos is contextualizing renaissance and discovery. And so what is contextualization? Contextualization is to analyze the context of historical events, developments, or processes. So something we can use to uh, contextualize evidence is GeoSprite. GeoSprite stands for geographical, social, political, religious, intellectual, technological, and economic. And it's used to classify, organize, define information, and make connections. So GeoSprite is usually used when we contextualize evidence. So when we try to analyze the context of historical events, we use GeoSprite to classify tiny little bits of information and we really, we try to, um, we really, we try to organize and define our information. So geo, uh, geographical is the location within Europe and outside of Europe. Social is class, gender, family, lifestyle, inequality. Political is war, diplomacy, treaties, and leaders. And religious is institutions, religious institutions, religious practices, religious deities, religious sin, and salvation. Intellectual is art, literature, philosophy, science, and education. And technological is inventions, weapons, tools, and infrastructure. And finally, economic is trade, commerce, industry, capital, and investing. So we're going to look at an example. The example is the Black Death. So the Black Death, the Medieval trade allowed diseases of time to spread quickly over long distances. First emerging in 1347, the Black Death was carried by infected rats and spread by fleas. So the Black Death was during Medieval trade, obviously. And during Medieval trade, uh, diseases spread quickly by rats and fleas um, because of how trade transferred between uh, countries and between areas of Europe. So entering Europe through trade ports, the Black Death spread quickly in medieval cities, with narrow streets filled with refuse. People were crowded together, and the standards for personal hygiene were very low. So at that time, people didn't really brush their teeth, they didn't really wash themselves, it was really just a less, nobody was using personal hygiene at the time of the Black Death. So once a person caught the plague, a boil called a bubo would grow on the infected person's armpit, neck, or groin area. If the boil was lanced and the pus was drained, it was possible the infected person might survive. However, the bubo was quickly followed by black spots under the skin and a violent cough. And this meant that death was just days away, and the coughing could possibly infect others. So something that, uh, with the black death, is that it was highly contagious. The second you got to black spots and coughing, it was all over you were pretty much infected and you can infect anybody else and you were very possibly near death. So many different methods were used to try to combat the plague, but we know today that few of them were effective. Doctors believe that fluids of the body were unbalanced, an idea that came from the ancient Greeks. So they tried sweating and bloodletting. Bloodletting is when they put leeches on somebody's body and that way they would, the leeches would suck out the the bad blood. And um, they tried to cure the victims of the plague. And some cities shut their gates to avoid visitors and people who were confined to their homes in order to isolate those that were sick. Members of the clergy cared for those that were sick and were responsible for burying the dead, which meant that the clergy, really, they got infected quite quickly. Because if they were taking care of the sick people, then obviously they were going to get sick themselves. So some people looked for scapegoats. So scapegoats are people who they put the blame on. And so a scapegoat, let's say, somebody did something to me and I was mad so I blamed it on somebody else. That's a scapegoat. And so people looked for scapegoats and they blamed the Jews for poisoning the wells and contaminating the drinking water. And this led to the murder of hundreds of Jews, while others had, properly, had property confiscated and were cast out of cities. So Jews had their property taken away from them and Jews had their uh, were killed because the Christians thought that the uh, water was being poisoned by the Jews. And the effects of the Black Death. The densely populated areas lost between one half and two thirds of their population. That's a lot of people. So when um, when the densely pop- populated areas got the plague, the plague sped very quickly from place to place to place to place from person to person. The Catholic Church also lost more than 60% of the top clergy. The top clergy, so like because the clergy were taking care of people, they lost, a lot of them caught the plague and a lot of them died. It also caused a labor shortage that would lead to short-term improvements in working conditions. Because work was very important to them, people who worked, who died, then the other people who survived, they could charge more. They could be like, you really need this work. Therefore, I have the ability to work, but you're going to have to pay me more and give me better conditions. Um, Groups such as the flagellants believed that the plague was God's punishment, and they whipped themselves as penance. Others became deeply pious and had many morbid concerns with death. Art reflected this with paintings performing the dance macabre, or the dance of death, which could be found particularly on the walls of churches and cemeteries. So the walls of cemeteries and the walls of churches were now covered in these pictures of dancing skeletons or people dying because of the Black Death and how the Black Death really affected a whole lot of people. So um, today we covered the Black Death and we covered how the Black Death affected people. Now we can go to another example. Another example is the Hundred Years' War. And the Hundred Years' War uh, lasted from 1334 to 1453, and this was a series of conflicts between England and France, and other French, and over the French throne, and control over Flanders and its lucrative cloth trade. England also wanted to keep land um, holdings it had along the coast of France. At the beginning, France appeared stronger, as England only had about four million people, and France had about 17 million. However, France was a feudal monarchy in the Middle Ages and lacked a political unity. The war starts off with several stunning successes on Britain's part and the English forces dominate France for decades with their use of the longbow or French cavalry. Then, the struggle shifts back and forth. After 1415, King Henry V of England revives the campaign and he conquers large portions of France. In 1429, a 17-year-old French peasant girl who claimed to be divinely inspired, Joan of Arc, was successful in breaking the siege of Orleans and changed the tide once more, her charisma re-energizing the French. She was captured by the English and convicted of witchcraft and executed in 1431. We'll talk about witchcraft a little bit later. Though the conflict continued until 1453, the French were ultimately successful in England for almost, from almost all French territory. So, Now we have uh, the Hundred Years' War, which lasted about 116 years. But um, the Hundred Years' War was between France and England, and they were really just more, they wanted more land. The king wanted, they were really, it was about more land and who was going to take over the French throne. So now we've gone over the Black Death and the Hundred Years' War, and next is the crisis in the Catholic Church. Now, the crisis in the Catholic Church. At the beginning of the 14th century, the papacy began to reside in Avignon, France, also known as the Babylon captivity of the church. This resulted from a French pope that was elected in 1305 and moved the papacy to French in 1309. From then on, seven popes resided in France rather than Rome, creating an efficient administrative bureaucracy and imposing new taxes on the clergy to fund a lavish lifestyle. This led to a decline in the, priestess, in the prestige of the papacy, Pope Gregory XI returned to Rome in 1377, but died in 1378 when the College of Cardinals met to elect a new pope. They were threatened that the new pope had to be Italian. Urban VI was elected, indicating his plans to appoint Italian cardinals to outnumber the French cardinals' majority. Once these French cardinals were free from the threats of the Italian mob, they issued a manifesto that was meant to nullify the election of Urban VI and elect a French pope, Clement VII. There was now two popes, and this is known as the Great Schism of the Church. This divided Europe as as different nations sided with the different popes. This undermined the institution as a whole and would foreshadow calls for reform during the Renaissance and the Reformation. And that's it for episode one. With episode one, we covered uh, the Black Death, we covered the Hundred Years' War, and we covered the Catholic Church. Uh, We covered, in the Catholic Church, we covered the crisis of the Catholic Church. So we've covered three topics right under contextualization, and I hope you guys enjoyed episode one. Thank you so much for listening.